passage of scripture this morning will be from the letter of Paul to the church of Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, we'll be reading in verse 1, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the word of the Lord, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be here with you, gathered in God's house uh, with one another. Um, just one quick announcement. On June the 13th, we'll have a uh, guest uh, preacher, teacher, uh, pastor. Uh, he served here for about five, uh, five to six years, uh, Steve Turner. He's coming back. He'll be here for the state convention, so I've invited him to come and uh, preach from... Um, to us on uh, June the 13th. So mark that in your calendars. Uh, Steve Turner will be here June the 13th. That's our For us in the room that know you, that are Christ followers, I pray for sanctification. The ongoing process to become more like you. I pray that would be true for us this morning as we look at your holy word. And God, if there's anyone here that has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, that you would open their eyes uh, of their heart and their minds and their ears to hear, to receive, and respond this morning to the great gospel message, the good news uh, that you uh, lived a perfect, sinless life, Jesus, who died on a cross to absorb the wrath of your Father on behalf of us uh, so that we would be blameless in your sight one day. So we're grateful for what Jesus has done for us. And I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would draw them to yourself. And now lead us and guide us and give us hope through the promise of your word. We pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. It's good to be back with you uh, this morning. We are again walking through uh, the book of, or the letter of Colossians. If you haven't been with us, this letter was penned by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was um, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. The Apostle Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill the church, to kill believers. And God in his goodness sent Christ Jesus himself to intervene on Paul's Behalf, And from that moment on, Paul had this passion, this delight, this desire, because it was put in him by God. He says that in Acts chapter 9, that God gave him a new message to take the gospel to his people, uh, or to the Gentiles. Uh, at that point, the Gentiles, you and I, non-Jewish people, had never really received Christ. And so Paul, a Jew, had this passion to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And so now he's going throughout the, the known world 
planting churches all over the known world. Paul did not plant this church himself, but one of his followers, one of his disciples, uh, Epaphras, planted this church. And this is a small church that started in about 60 A.D. uh, by a group of believers in Colossae that had this passion for Christ. Well, Paul, and where we're at in Paul's journey is he's in house arrest or he's in prison. Well, Epaphras had come to Paul and began to tell Paul about this church that was a young church. And Paul begins to hear about what was going on in the church. And so he writes back to this church uh, in Philemon's house that they had gathered, and he begins to tell them some things. The whole book or whole letter of Colossians is Paul exhorting them or pleading with them to be reminded of the supremacy of Christ, meaning that Christ is above all things, that Christ holds all things together, that Christ um, is the only one. Because as you'll see, this is where Paul here in chapter 2 is going to start warning this young church of some things. The, The warning will come because there's a group of false believers that had began to make their way into the church and began to tell these young believers, it's Christ plus that brings salvation. It's Christ plus. It's not just Christ is supreme over all things. It's Christ and something else that's going to really give you eternal security, even salvation. And so Paul is warning them and pleading with them. And so now Paul gets into the bulk of his letter to them here in chapter 2. And Paul says this. We're going to look at three things that Paul has this deep concern for these young believers, this young church. I believe if Paul were to write the church in America a letter, I believe he would say this into his letter today. And so Paul is going to say to them, there's this great concern that I have for you. And he's going to list out what this concern is, and then he's going to list out how do we as a church combat what's happening in the church So the three things we'll look at this morning is in verses 1 through 3. We'll look at the great work that Paul is talking about, or this great struggle that Paul has for the church. He then will tell us what the great danger is in verse 4. But then he's going to come back at the end and tell them the great rejoice that he has for the church. But I believe if we were to take note this morning, the danger that this young church was facing is the same danger that we here in America, are facing. Now, our only, our only way of defense is going to be through the gospel. But do we really know the true gospel? Because that's what's happening in this church. That they began, these false teachers began to teach a gospel that was contrary to the true gospel. Is that not true what's happening in America? That, that there's this rise of what the truth is and what the truth isn't. Just turn on the news. Uh, it was um, with great sadness uh, the other day, we're at dinner, and um, Cedar asked out loud at the dinner table, is it okay for boys to marry boys? And I thought, oh, no. Like, at six years old, you're already beginning to hear a truth that is so contrary from the truth. And my fear is he's not just hearing that at, school, but he's hearing that amongst what we would say are Christian kids. 
And even churches are beginning to teach things that are contrary to the truth. That's why here at Powell's Chapel, we teach verse by verse, book by book, through the Bible, so that I cannot waver from anything that God's Word says. And, and so there's churches now, they're not teaching the truth. And that's what's happening here at this young church. These young believers, these young uh, believing Colossians. And so Paul says to them straight out of the gate in chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, for I want you to know. He says, I want you to know something. There's something on my heart that I have to tell you. I can't hold it in anymore. I've been telling you about the supremacy of Christ, and now I've got to tell you this great warning of this great concern that I have for you. Because if you don't get the truth, bad things are going to happen to you. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not even seen me face to face. And so Paul says, there's this great struggle that's happening within me. As I hear what's happening in you, it's leading me to have this great struggle. The Greek word is, there's this agony happening. It's the word we get agonized from. And so Paul is saying, I agonize over you. We have to ask the question, what is it or how is it Paul is in agony? What is he doing? Two things that we see that Paul is agonizing as he hears what's happening to this group of believers. We see this throughout the first chapter, and you'll see this throughout the rest of the letter. The first thing, the way that he agonizes over these believers are this great struggle that's happening with him that's leading him to do something. The first thing is this. He is in agony over prayer. He says in verse 9, I have not ceased praying for you. The moment that Epaphras came to me and began to tell me what was happening, I've agonized and I haven't stopped praying for you. He's saying this prayer that I have for you is bringing me great trouble and it takes a lot of work to pray. I don't know about you, if you've ever sat down to pray, maybe I'll just speak for myself, within about 30 seconds, I'm as far away from what I sat down to pray about. Like I'll start praying. I'm like, man, I'm going after it. I'm going to start praying for this. And, and within minutes, I'm as far away from the, the, well, what I'm pleading with the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. It, it takes me a lot of work to pray for you. So I think the encouragement we have is even the great apostle Paul was in agony as he prayed. Like he was having to really work at praying on staying focused in his prayer life for the, these Colossians. The other thing that we see in his prayer life is this. He was praying for people he'd never met before. He sa it says that in the verse. There's some of you I haven't even seen face to face before, but I'm praying for, I'm in agony for praying for, for you. As I was sitting preparing this message, it dawned on me, I wonder how often I'm praying for other people. Like I pray a great deal for myself. But how often am I praying for people all over the world that I've never seen and probably will never see? You know, we, we pray for a missionary. We voted on, decided to pray for a missionary, Jeff. We've never met him before. But I pray that we are in agony for him because of what we've heard, that he's in great persecution. We ought to be in agony as we pray and think through him. And on and on we could go in our prayer life. 
of Paul saying, I am in great prayer for you. Great toil for you is, an, is another word that Paul uses in this letter. So the first way that he is struggling, the great work that he has is in prayer. The second thing is through his proclamation. We saw that last week. So prayers that Paul is in agony as he proclaims the gospel message. Again, I'm grateful to, to hear that and to see that and receive that. The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest preacher outside of Jesus Christ, was in agony. It took him a lot of work to proclaim the gospel. You would think the greatest missionary, it wouldn't take him a lot of work to proclaim the gospel. But Paul is saying, it's with great agony I prepare messages and I proclaim the truth to people. And so for us this morning, two things for way of application. How's our prayer life and how's our proclamation? Does it bring us great agony? Is it a struggle for us that we would say a great struggle I have for you in praying and proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ to both lost people and believers? And now Paul is going to now share in verse two and three. This is the reason. I have such great agony for you. This is the reason I pray to you. This is for you. This is the reason I proclaim the gospel to you. He, he says this. That their hearts. This is the, the, the reason he says that I'm praying for you. And this is the reason I'm praying for you. I'm praying these three things for you. He, he says this in verse two. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the richness of the full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. So he's saying the reason I pray and, and the reason I proclaim is that you would first be what? Have encouragement in your heart. Is it not true that when false teachers come in and things around us begin to see like God is not in control, do our hearts not get discouraged? Like here in Cedar at the dinner table, ask that question Friday. I got discouraged. We were talking last night at, at our house about what will we do when uh, they just let anyone go to anyone's restroom? What are we going to do uh, as a family around that? that that's really discouraged. I'm thinking... How am I spending my time discussing who's going to what bathroom? It seems pretty elementary to me. And so as the world comes into uh, to more and more evasive to us, it can get really, really discouraging. And so Paul is saying to them, I'm praying that your hearts would be encouraged. I pray that our hearts are encouraged this morning. The next thing he says, not only would your hearts be encouraged, but that you would what? Be knit together in love. Praying for encouragement. But I'm praying for this bond that happens within the church. I'm praying that you'd stick together. That, that nothing would come and disrupt where you're at. That you would have such a bond as such a community with one another. That nothing can disrupt that. And I wonder for us this morning, church, do we have that bond? Do we have that place of being knit together in love. I was watching a video. I shared this uh, with some friends this week. It was a video about addiction. And so uh, uh, several years ago, this 
psychologist scientists did an experiment with rats. Rats always get the short end of the stick when it comes to experiments, by the way. I'm not that I love rats, but I was going to say use cats. Well, I said it anyway, so my bad. Anyway, rats. So there's these rats that this scientist has. And so what the scientist was trying to decide to do, hey, what, what is the, the epigenetics and the genetics around addiction? Is it simply just biology? Or is there something else underneath that, that that we could see where addiction could be broken? So what the scientist did, he took these rats and put them in a cage and put uh, uh, just normal water in one tank, and he put um, heroin-laced water in another tank. And so what he saw was that these rats who had nothing in con- like nothing to do, they were separated from everyone. Once the rats tasted their heroin water, guess what happened? They got addicted to heroin and died. And so then what he decided to do was, I'm going to take these rats, I'm going to put them in a cage, I'm going to put the same water on one side of the cage, and I'm going to put the, the heroin water on the other side of the cage. But what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to put them together with a bunch of other rats. So I'm going to put all these rats together in what he called a rat park. So where these rats could interact with one another. So that they could begin to form community with one another. Relationship with one another. And what he found out was astounding. He said that the rats, though they tasted the heroin-laced water, not one rat ever got addicted to the heroin-laced water. And what he began to realize is that the solution to addiction is not sobriety, but the solution to addiction is community. And so as I'm studying this passage, I'm thinking to myself, what would it look like if a church was really knit together? We really had true community. All the things and all the places that the church could begin to speak into, live into. If we began to be a place that was knit together and allowed other people to become a part of this, I believe we would see addiction in our country fall by the wayside if they experience what Jesus says to us in John chapter 13, verse 35. By the way that you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. The way that you love one another, your experience of love, it happens and shows the love that the Father has for me and I have for the Father. And so that's Paul's plea here, is that they would be encouraged in heart and there would be a unity amongst the believers. I thought to myself, all the petty things that brings disunity to a church. But what Paul is saying is, let us be united because there's something greater than the color of a carpet that ought to disunify us because there's this enemy that's kind of trying to infiltrate our community and bring the, the, the truth and um, dilute it with false truth. And so what Paul is saying, it's important how much you stay in unity over the gospel. And again, I've thought to myself, the things that I've heard that have brought division in a church is horrifying. And Paul is pleading, stay unified. How? In love. 
Jesus says this, no greater love than this, that you ought to lay down your life for one another. How many of us would do that for one another in this building? We would truly lay our lives down for one another. He says, not only do I pray for encouragement of your heart, not only am I praying that you'd be knit together in love, this unbreakable bond, but I'm also praying that for your understanding and your assurance in Christ through your knowledge and through your understanding. Paul is pleading with the Lord, God, keep them united together as they strive to a a pure doctrine of a pure understanding and a, a pure knowledge of who Christ is. Because if you have a pure understanding of who Christ is, you will have assurance in your salvation. And so Paul is pleading because he sees this great danger that's happening in the church and how these people want to bring disunity in the church and fracture the church. And now he says, this is how it's going to happen. This is how these individuals are going to take the truth and water it down. It's in verse 4. Verse 4, Paul says to these young believers, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul saying the number one way that the gospel message will be fractured in the church, the number one way that you won't be encouraged in heart, the number one way that you won't be knit together in love, the number one way that you won't have understanding of assurance of your salvation is by plausible words. Or by what we would call persuasive speech. I think this, more than anything else in the American church, is how the American church is in the greatest place of danger. Because all you have to do right now is get on your phone, type in a podcast of anyone that's claiming to preach the gospel message. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of messages you can listen to right now that would sound like it's the gospel. Again, I'll say this. How is it possible that 50,000 people gather at one man's church every Sunday in Houston? It's not because he's got cool-looking hair, I'll tell you that. It's because he's got plausible words. It's because what he's saying is super attractive. And on and on and on I can go. There's people in our city that are doing that. And so it sounds good. Paul says this in another one of his letters. Hey, their ears want to be tickled. And there's going to be men that tickle their ears. If you come here and your ears are tickled, please never come back. My desire is not that you'd have tickled ears, but you'd have come under conviction from the Holy Spirit that would lead you to live transformed lives. I do not care how you live your life other than that you live your life according to this. You see, this whole book was not given to us how we ought to live our lives. One song said it this way, the Bible means this, Basic instructions before leaving earth. That is not what this book is meant to be. 
This is not an instruction manual, how you live your life today. This is a God-given love letter to us to reveal his truth about himself to us, which then reveals the truth about ourselves, that there is a holy God, and we are unholy people that deserve the wrath of God. But in God's love letter to us, he says to us, I'm giving you my son, that yes, my wrath ought to be poured out on you, but I love you enough that I will pour my wrath out onto my son. But this book is not about you. This book is about God. And the moment we begin to read this book in light of about us, we've lost the purpose of the book. It's about God's holiness. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying, let me warn you that people are going to come with plausible speech. And they're going to sound really great. They're going to be very eloquent. And they're going to want to draw you away. How is it? How is it? My question to you, my question to me, is within the last 50 years, this country has gone from standing on the truth of God's word to being as far away as possible as God's word as possible. It's not because it was done overnight. It was through plausible words over time. You, you and I, we, we can see deception pretty quickly unless it's done with plausible words. Fifty years ago, if someone had said to you, I wasn't alive, but said to you, hey, in 50 years, we're going to legalize homosexual marriages, you would have thought they were crazy. And now you have a six-year-old at a dinner table asking his parents, is that okay? How come? Because of plausible words. And it's coming through mostly the church. How is it that I heard a stat this, this week and I thought, oh, you, you had to have the stat wrong. He, he told me this, a million babies a year are being aborted. I'm like, how is that possible? Through plausible words. And the church is kind of sitting back. And Paul is pleading with these young believers. Don't be swept away by plausible words. And that is my plea for my own life. That's my plea for you, the church. That's my plea for us, the church. Let us not be swept away by plausible words or persuasive words. And then Paul ends this section of chapter 2 with a great rejoice. He says, though all this is happening, though this is my fear of what can happen, he says in verse 5, for though I am absent in the body, Yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul ends by saying this to them. Yet because of what's happening to you and the warning I give to you, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing that you have not wandered away, yet you have stood firm in the faith. He says two words, two military words he uses. 
good order, which refers to the line of soldiers drawn up in battle. He's saying to them, you have drawn up to this battle and stay firm in that. And then he says the firmness refers to the solidarity of the formation of the soldiers. He's saying you take up this defense and you stay in formation and you don't wander from the formation. He's saying no matter what the attack comes, you've held firm. I would say to us, church, thank God that is true of Powell's chapel. I believe this with all my heart. The reason we're almost 150 years old is because we have stood firm. The onslaught of the great enemy. And I would say to you, I rejoice in that. It's because of what God is doing and because of your faithfulness to being obedient to what God is doing. I pray that 150 years from now, another pastor be sitting in the same pulpit saying with the same words of encouragement, stay fast, stay true, stay in alignment to God and be knit together so another 150 years can come and the gospel can be proclaimed from this pulpit. So I say that with encouragement to you this morning. It's what God is doing in us and through us. But I believe it's through your obedience of standing firm in the midst of persecution. Let us continue to do that. Let us pray this morning. God, I pray that we would be a church that would struggle through prayer and proclamation. Prayer, as you say in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, that we would pray to you for the workers, because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So we would pray, God, on behalf uh, of the workers. We become workers. We'd see revival break out in this city of Walter Hill and Murfreesboro, because we are praying people. I pray, God, as we pray, that you, we would then ask for courage to proclaim the gospel truth to people. Jesus Plus nothing equals everything. I pray that would be true for us. And God, I pray that you'd protect us from plausible words. That you would let us be like the Bereans and take what we hear and sift it through your holy word. And if there's anything that we hear that does not align with your word, we'd see it as false truth, false doctrine. Give us the the ears to, to hear, the heart to discern what is your truth. And God, I am encouraged. and I rejoice in your goodness and kindness to us. I rejoice in our good order and our firmness. We hold to the truth, the gospel of Christ Jesus. May we mature in our faith and be presented mature back to you. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ as your Savior, I'll be up front. I'd love to pray with you. One of our deacons would love to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you're just struggling, you need prayer, again, I'll be up front to pray with you and for you. Would you guys stand as we sing this last song?
Beloved, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Grace and peace be with you.